as we've gone through the Brahma Viharas over these 10 days or so, we've of course spent a number of days on metta and a few days on compassion and then as as Greg said when he introduced it, we went a little bit what's called out of order and he introduced Upeka, equanimity and then um, Tuere was teaching on Dana. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> she was teaching on Dana. She was teaching on Mudita, joy, sometimes called uh, appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, empathic joy, or just joy. And um, and I thought it would be appropriate to come back to Upeka, to equanimity. And I think it's one of the most undervalues, undervalued and underappreciated components of what we discover in our heart. And uh, it's also, it's often the heart quality that people have a hard time uh, recognizing as a heart quality. Um, and of course, with the word chitta, meaning heart and mind, that makes it easier to understand. It's both part of heart and mind, equanimity. Um, but it's a beautiful uh, quality of the awakened heart. And it's why it's taught and practiced, and it's what we discover, uh, you know, maybe not immediately, but over time, it really reveals itself. And it's very, um, right, it's, it's not what I think is often difficult or obscures the heartfulness is it's not uh, related to emotions where love and joy and, and uh, compassion have their, their, their emotional re relevance not the right word I want, um, resonance, but um, upeka, equanimity, is not, we say, oh, I'm feeling upeka for you. We might say, I'm feeling compassionate, or I'm happy for you, or I feel joyful that you're so doing so well. We don't usually say, you know, oh yeah, I feel balanced towards you now, and you know, like that's a gift. Although, of course, if people have been angry at us, it's always nice when they're feeling balanced towards us or with us. <clears throat> but it's, um, and it's a very, it's a much quieter flavor of the heart. Um, sometimes people confuse it with detachment. It's not detachment. It may be related to non-attachment, but non-attachment is not detachment. It's not, it's not either attachment or detachment. It's the relaxation of heart that opens to the whole show, to the whole picture, to the whole experience of being alive. And I know... Um, Greg mentioned some of this. I'll repeat some things. He talked about the, uh, he, he referred, I don't think he described it, but the, the Sanskrit word is upeksha. And upa means uh, over, and iksha means to look, 
to overlook or to look over. And it's really seeing from the highest realm. And it's like when you, it's like when one goes up in a plane and you look down, oh, all of a sudden you see the big picture. Oh, this is where I am. And not only do you see like, oh, I'm in San Francisco. Oh, I'm in that part of San Francisco. And oh, I can almost see my street, which probably not from a plane really. But you, you see, and you see where San Francisco is. You see the bay. And then you, as you get higher and you see the, the land around it. And, and also you start to see that all of that is in a bigger picture, right? In space, right? Oh, we're on a planet. It's not just that there's San Francisco and that's the whole show. We start to, and so that can bring a kind of equanimity when we see the totality of what's here. And that kind of totality often brings a certain uh, love when we see the totality, like we love the earth, we love the planet, we love the, uh, you know, we just, it's amazing that we live in the universe. We can even love the universe because it's so wild that we're, you know, spinning around on one little planet in the universe, right? And so it brings uh, a love, but also a certain kind of dispassion, meaning we don't, we're not attached, mean, not attached to it. We may love it, but we know we don't own it and we can't keep it. And we also know when we really see the bigger picture that it won't last forever because nothing lasts forever, including the earth. Even if, even if as human beings, we were a little more um, sensible about how we treated the earth, it still won't last forever. You know, it might last for our lifetime or another 10 or 20 or 30, 40, 50, 60 lifetimes or, you know, a thousand, but it won't last forever because that's not the nature of reality when we see the big picture. And so the equanimity, the the overlooking of what's here, or the looking over what's here, brings perspective. And that perspective is characterized in Buddhism as the middle way. It's not one side or the other. It is one side, and it is the other side, and it is both sides, and it is neither side. And all of those are true from the biggest perspective. Now, normally in our life, we move between contrasts, right? We move between differences or opposites, you know, rise and fall, success, failure, failure, you know, uh, the eight worldly wins are praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute. And you all know these. This is part of life, right? Sometimes we're successful and sometimes not. Sometimes as a teacher, this is really clear. Sometimes people praise you and sometimes they're not praising you at all. They're not happy with whatever you said, even if you thought it was good. 
Or, you know, and sometimes we gain, we get things, and sometimes we lose things. Here was one of my losses during this retreat. I lost a hearing aid. Actually, I lost both of them for a while. And then finally, yesterday, and I'm really good with my hearing aids because they, they cost some money and they help. And, uh, and I can hear without them, but it's much more precise when I have them in. And so uh, finally, yesterday, I found one, which was great, but I didn't find the other one. <laughs> so I lost one. So it's only going to be half as expensive, <laughs> this retreat <laughs> for me. But, it, but it's just part of life. And so I was not happy about it, but I didn't stay not happy about it. Because, of course, you know, you lose things. Because we can't hold on to anything, ultimately. And Greg mentioned when he was talking about it, and I appreciate it, he mentioned my, my love of grandmotherly love, of that kind of maturity of being that elders can have to see the whole picture and to be good with it all. And they can see their children and their grandchildren at a certain point. And it's like, oh, they see the ups and downs, right and wrong, good and bad that they go through. It's okay. You know, and nothing really, really bad should happen. But, it, but you also see, oh, that's part of life. We don't escape life with, with the, without touching the eight worldly winds. And so the grandmotherly love that is uh, um, epitomized in, in Upeka is neither attachment nor detachment, and it's, it's, a, it's still a love. You know, I, I don't have grandchildren, but I have a grown daughter, and I see the change of being a father over time and how how that role changes and how that perspective changes so that I have all this love for her, but uh, it's her life, and her life is going to do what lives do, right? It's good and bad, right and wrong, up and down. Right, I watch her get praise and blame. She's in a career where she gets certain praise and blame, and you know it's just, and and of course she can get really upset about it. And it's nice because I have a little grandmotherly love, even though I'm not a grandmother, because I can just say, oh yeah, that's how it goes. It's really don't I you know I say don't take it personally, because it's not personal ultimately. It's just how reality reveals itself. Hmm. So, equanimity. Nanapanaka Tara said, equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. And that's, that's a lovely Buddhist quote. Equanimity is a perfect, unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. I would say it a little differently. Um, uh, it bows to venerable, but um, I think it's the um, unshakable balance of mind that is uh, comfortable at being shaken. Right? 
It's not that it's everything is unshakable. Everything's shakable, but it's a kind of balance. It's the balance that allows us to be imbalanced. And as you've seen on the retreat, I imagine one or two of you have felt imbalanced at times on the retreat. That usually happens for most people, right? And so, you know, and yet we start to see, oh, we can even be with the imbalance. I was really, uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep uh, last night and I was very, but I got, I like to get up early and do my routine. So I got up pretty early and even though they changed time and they, they took an hour away from me and, uh, and, uh, and I was surprised in the first sitting. Oh, I was—I got sleepy. I'm like, I had to finally really sit up straight and open my eyes, and you know. And I was like, uh, and but I was balanced enough to. It's okay if I get sleepy. It's not a bad thing. It's just sleepiness, right? And I have meditated enough years, so it's not the first time I've ever gotten sleepy when I'm meditating. And actually, I like that sleep is really a nice sleep. Um, the last thing I really want to say is from the Shin Shin Ming. The Shin Shin Ming is one of my favorite teachings uh, in, in all of Buddhism. It's a Zen teaching, a Chan teaching from the third Zen teacher. And... Uh, and it's Shinshin uh, Ming is translated either as verses of the faith mind or verses of the mind of absolute trust. Verses from the faith mind or verses from the uh, mind of absolute trust. And it's very famous. It begins this way. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Right? The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, if you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the dis-ease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect, like vast space, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. And this is just the beginning of a very long teaching about realization. And you hear the balance that's in there. And I'll, I'll comment on it a little bit, right? The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. It's the same, this is from translated by a man named Richard Clark. And he translated it, I don't, probably now it's got to be 40 years ago. And then he retranslated it 25 years later. And the retranslation says, the great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. 
because of course when whenever when I first heard it, I thought of course you know I have preferences right I have preferences all the time, but I love the poetry of the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences because it's a pith direct pointing at the letting go and relaxing that we've been encouraging here for you in each moment, even in this moment, as you just relax and be here, right? And even if you have preference, even if you like the talk or don't like the talk, relax around that, right? Right? Don't be attached to your preferences, as he would say. And he goes on, right? When love and hate are both absent, it doesn't mean, oh, there's no love or there's no hate. It means we relax our identification, our attachment with love and hate. It's here and we know it and we see it. But something bigger is also here that knows the love, that knows the hate. And that's where we're starting to rest in the great way. Mm. And again, you hear the paradox he keeps pointing at, right? If, if you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. Anybody here have no opinions about anything, right? I mean, it's just not, that's not, but we can start to relax around our opinions because we see, as he said, because if we set up what we like against what we dislike, it becomes the dis, dis-ease of the heart and mind. And it's really pointing a little at Vedna at the, in the bigger picture of pleasant and unpleasant, liking and not liking. And then he, it's so beautiful, he says the way is, he translates it, the way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. And it's really pointing at the bigger reality that we live in and we are a manifestation of. The bigger reality that we live in, that we are a manifestation of, that Sayada Utejaniya would call the nature that we live in and that we also are. Right, the way is perfect, like nature, where nothing is lacking and nothing in excess. And he goes on. He says, when you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very effort fills you with activity. So he's pointing at the paradox and the of dualism of one or the other, right or wrong. He says, if there is even a trace of this and that, of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. Although all dualities, here, this is beautiful, although all dualities come from the one, do not be attached even to the one. That's freedom. He's pointing at freedom in the Shin Shin Ming, right? Although all dualities come from the one, do not be attached even to this one. To live in the great way is neither easy nor difficult. Right? He he says it so well in terms of our daily life. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. 
right? Because so much at retreat, we think, oh, we just got to be totally quiet and still, and then we got to go go into our life and be totally quiet and still. Good luck, right? That's not how it works. We want to see the ground, the 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 stillness underneath everything, and then see what happens as we live from that stillness, but it doesn't mean everything is quiet and, you know, not happening, right? In, in Zen, they talk, they always point at, you want to look and see the one who is not busy, who is always here, even in the middle of all busyness. Recognize the one who is not busy. Right, so in the Shinshin Ming, they said, if you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike the world of senses and ideas. Indeed, to accept them fully is identical with true enlightenment. Mm, just, it's on and on. I'm totally editing it. Please go check it out for yourself. Here, and then the, it ends with this. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection, which I'm wishing that for all of us, right? To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. It's really the perfection of imperfection is being pointed at. And we can relax with non-perfection. And he ends, to live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. Words... The way is beyond language, for in it, the, the way is beyond language, right? He's pointing at something that's living, that is not just a concept or an idea, right? The way is beyond language, for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, and no today. So those are a few thoughts about equanimity, and we'll do some phrases to nurture, nourish, water, plant, flower, the, the uh, balance of heart that's available to each human being, to each of us. And these are pretty similar to what... Um, to what Greg used, a little different, you'll hear. Um, actually, Brian, uh, I'm wondering, Brian, can you write these down and then um, post them, put them in the chat? Sure, yeah. Great, thank you. So, and you, you may even have some version of them, but here's what I have. And so if you rest, relax, Shut your eyes, be at ease, whether you're sitting, you know, 
upright or in a reclining or you're standing or you're lying down, very relaxed. And just offer these wishes and these understandings of the heart that's balanced. All beings are the owners of their karma. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them. And you could very simply say it, all beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness and unhappiness is not dependent on my wishes for them. And saying it in your own way and whatever words work for you. All beings, all beings are the owners of their karma, of their actions. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on this, not on my wishes for them. And then other phrases to add. May we all accept things as they are. May we all accept things as they, they are. May I accept things, may you accept things. May we accept things as they are. Very gently repeating the phrase or phrases to yourself, letting them resonate and radiate in your heart. Another phrase, may we be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events. May we be undisturbed by the comings and goings of events. Undisturbed by impermanence, or may we be undisturbed, undisturbed 
by the impermanence of all things. care for you, but cannot keep you from suffering. And you could bring up the image of a single person or many people or all people or all beings. I care for you, but cannot keep you from suffering. I wish you happiness, but cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness, but cannot make your choices for you. Use your inner guidance in offering these phrases. See how they radiate from your own heart. And you don't have to repeat all of them. You can repeat a few over and over or one or you could repeat all of them doing one at a time for a few minutes then the second for a few minutes 
or you could alternate one with another. You could go through all five or six that I've mentioned, or you can customize it in whatever way speaks to your own heart. And of course, it's always remembered that when you make the offering to all beings or we, or even saying, I care for you, you can include yourself because you are one of those beings. You're, you're part of the we. And so on your own, continuing with the phrases helpful to relax your body as well as your heart and mind as you offer these good wishes and understanding of equanimity upekka
all beings are the owners of their karma. Their happiness and unhappiness depends on their actions, not on my wishes for them. <laughs> 